I'm turning to Matthew 17, verse 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I'm going to take exception to that word epileptic right there. The Greeks didn't even know anything about epilepsy at the time that this occurred. And I have to say that that was a word I think that they're using to try to convey uh, a similarity with a neurological illness. But this was not a neurological illness. For the scripture in the story makes it plain that this was actually a suicidal spirit. Listen to the father. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. One of the saddest verses in the Bible. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? I mean, when are you going to get it? When are you going to figure out who I am? I mean, can you hear the passionate cry of God through Jesus Christ expressing himself? Here is the solution standing right in front of them. And because of their faithlessness, they're not getting it. So Jesus says, bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. And the reason I don't like the use of the word epilepsy there is because it would give you the impression that everybody that has epilepsy is possessed of a demonic spirit. And I want to set that straight right now and say that is not the case. There's a neurological condition. And this demonic spirit was mimicking the physical symptoms of someone with epilepsy. So if you go to the original King James... That word is not even there. And so, listen to this. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, could we not, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, that's not much, is it? If you've ever been to Israel, a mustard seed is so small that a pod filled with mustard seeds is only like a quarter of an inch in diameter. When you break it, it's got many mustard seeds in it. The original tree that Jesus was talking about. And he said, if you have just that much faith, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind, there's some kinds that require special strategies. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Then in Revelation 3, 20 through 22, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Again, the passion of Christ. He was the answer on that mountainside and nobody was recognizing it except one man who had a son that was possessed of a demonic spirit. And now he stands at the door as the answer or the solution again. And says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And I want you to notice that text. If anyone, you ought to circle those 
two words if you have a paper Bible or underline them or mark them if you have a device, electronic device. Because that anyone includes you. And what it means is there is literally opportunity knocking at your door. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Father, I thank you for the profundity of your word, its depth, its meaning, its richness, its levels of understanding. It's incredible. I thank you for your presence that's here. Now would your presence cause the word of God to come into our hearts and find a place there. Let it replace previous paradigms and thoughts and belief systems and let them be recalibrated to the truth of your word. I always ask that you do this and let me hide behind the cross in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. One more time. Amen. Mountain of limited opportunity. Move. That's my subject today. Mountain of limited opportunity. I want to ask you another question. This is the third question I'm asking you in rapid succession this morning. How many of you feel like you have been limited in opportunities in life? And this is going to require a lot of honesty and candor. But would you just raise a hand? I've been limited. I don't feel like I've gotten all the breaks that I needed. It's a lot of people. One of the most important principles, and I, I want to say this to you that raised your hand. And those of you that maybe couldn't find the courage to do so. Because there are actually more people that feel that than not. One of the most important principles in living a fulfilled life. And I make the distinction. Because you can just live life. But a fulfilled life is something else. One of the most important things that you need to know is that opportunity comes to every one of us. If you don't know this, you could even begin to think that God is unfair. You could even think that God gives others better and greater opportunities than he allows to come your way and that you've been passed over. But it's impossible for God to do that. You know why? He's always righteous and always fair. Each of us will receive in our lifetimes opportunities consistent with our destiny and our future. Our good God, our loving Heavenly Father has set up the universe that way. The scripture tells us this in Ecclesiastes 9 and 11. I returned and I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance, that's opportunity, happened to them all. Did you see that? There are three problems that we encounter that keep us from knowing this. One is, is that sometimes opportunity shows up and the timing is not good. We're at a point in our lives where we have other things going on. And quite frankly, we don't recognize opportunity because the timing is not appropriate. 
Number two, at other times the timing is right, but opportunity is no longer there. The main problem, however, that most people face is this, and I sincerely believe this with all of my heart, is that the vast majority of people simply don't recognize opportunity when it knocks because they don't know what to look for. Amen. Thomas Edison said it like this, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. Yeah. And opportunities can be blocked and that's why I'm preaching this today. Something can get in your way, a mountain that blocks you from moving into your opportunity. So in this series, I'm preaching about moving mountains. And Jesus said, we can move mountains if we will believe. You see, one of the harshest places on earth is Death Valley. It's part of the vast Mojave Desert. Anybody here ever been there? Mojave Desert, Death Valley, some of you raised your hands. That's great. It is, it is a difficult and harsh place. Death Valley. It is one of the hottest places that exist on the earth. In fact, the hottest temperature, highest temperature ever recorded was in 1913. It was 134 degrees in Death Valley. To the west of Death Valley are the mountain ranges with towering mountains like Mount Whitney, Mount Whitney, the highest point in the contiguous United States. If you've ever seen it, it's it's massive. It's impressive. And just across the mountains, so this is the way it works. You have Death Valley, the mountains, and then just across the mountains is the San Joaquin Valley, one of the most fertile places on the planet. And then the vast Pacific Ocean. There is constantly evaporation going on at the Pacific Ocean. And so what happens is, is that the moisture evaporates and rises and then it is blown by the winds and it is blown across the San Joaquin Valley, but the mountains block the moisture so it never gets across the mountains to Death Valley. Instead, it falls on the fertile croplands of the San Joaquin Valley. And it's a good thing because a lot of our food is grown there. But the rest of it falls as snow and leaves Death Valley out. If I could say it like this, the mountains limit the opportunity available to Death Valley and the rest of the Mojave Desert by stopping their blessing before their blessing ever gets there. All they will ever be is desert. And did you get that? The mountains block their rain. Is there anybody in this building that it seems like mountains have been blocking your blessing? You're not getting the rain that you need. And that might be spiritual. You're not getting the rain of heaven that you desire and that you want. And you wonder what those mountains could be. They could be habits. They could be a lifestyle. They could be an addiction, a family situation that's standing in your way. They, it could be a business or relationship problem that, that's just sucking all of the life right out of your existence. And 
somehow you can't move from where you are right now because of this. It could be that somebody has prejudged you and already struck your name through the list and said, nah, they, they don't, they'll never get anywhere. And your advancement has been stopped because somebody has already made decisions about you that have blocked your reign. Blocked your opportunity. Another principle that you need to know in life is that for you to seize an opportunity, you first got to see the opportunity. You're not going to seize it if you don't see it. Last, as we spoke last week, mountains are, and this series meant to be understood as more than geological formations. They are metaphors for these obstacles and these problems that we face in life. And who hasn't faced a mountain that's been in their marriage, a challenge that has come into their home. Who hasn't? Two people come together to become one. You're going to face some challenges. Somebody told me they'd been married 50 years and never had a fight. And I whispered under my breath, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> Amen. Either that or you've been in the military on the other side of the world for 50 years. You know what I mean? You have problems. You have challenges. You have challenges in your ministry, your relationship with God. Mountains can not only limit your opportunity, but since you need to see an opportunity to seize it, you need to know this about mountains. They can also keep you from even seeing your opportunity. From the Mojave Desert and Death Valley, you can't see the Pacific Ocean, yet it's on the other side of the mountains and not all that far. It is the largest single body of water that exists in the world, 12,300 miles from east to west. But you can't even see it because the mountains are in your way. And people fail to recognize when opportunity knocks many times because of the mountains they're currently facing. And can you imagine this, this father of this tormented child Speaking of your attention being drawn to the problem at hand and not seeing opportunity. Boy, what do we focus on? We focus on the problem, don't we? Rather than the problem solver. And so the, here is this distraught dad in anguish for his son. God knows every one of us would have been feeling the very same way if that was our boy. And we have children in this church that are going through some things physically Young lady, just real sweet little girl that we're praying for, for God to give her complete healing from cancer. But my heart goes out to parents and out to those who have challenges like that. Fortunately for this man, he saw Jesus coming down the mountain and he recognized opportunity, which many people do not. And... He knew that that was my, my help. And he cried out to the Lord. You see, tragically, this boy was facing a lifetime of limitations. A whole lifetime. This wasn't going to go away. You don't take two aspirin and go to bed and you're going to be better in the morning. Not when you have a demonic spirit. And this spirit's intention was to limit and hold this child back for the rest of his life or until he could cause that child to terminate his life. Because he was throwing him into the water 
and into the fire. I'm talking to people that struggle with depression here today. I can almost lay money on that. And the enemy would like to get you to do something to hurt yourself or tell you that life is not worth living. And the reason he is doing that is he wants to do to you what he was trying to do to this child. And that is steal your future. Try it. Amen. Satan thought he had this child in his back pocket. That he had destroyed and disrupted God's plans for this child. Because that's his primary task. To interfere with, to disrupt, to handicap anybody that's pursuing destiny. His objective, hear me, is to take you out of the game. That's exactly what he wants to do. Take you out of the game. Bench you for the rest of your life where you'll never be a threat to him or his kingdom. And imagine... They lived in a society that was not the slightest bit sympathetic in their treatment of people that had any kind of a challenge or a handicap. They did little to help people with disabilities. There weren't institutions that would look after this boy. His dad died perhaps, got older and died. No, every day would be a struggle for this child just to survive. Somebody's going to have to walk with him with a hand on his elbow every time they got near the water or near fire. And fires were common because they cooked with them at night. They gathered around them to, to get warm. There was no central air, no central heat. There also were no institutions that would look after this child in terms of providing a government program to offer assistance. There were no educational opportunities that had been created for him This child was doomed to struggle for the rest of his life because there were no wheelchair ramps in their day. There were no no, no signing. There was no signing for the hearing impaired. There was no special seating for the leper. If you had a problem, deal with it. It's your problem, not ours. That was basically the way society existed. And this is why I felt I needed to correct this. This wasn't epilepsy. Not at all. And... I want to dig into this a little bit more so you'll see it. But the reality is it was Satan that was behind this child's problem. Epilepsy is a neurological condition. It can be triggered, as you know, by flashes of light, dancing flames, flickering sunlight on waves on the the sea. But that is not what was going on with this child. His attacks were not neurological. They were demonic in origin. And they slightly mimicked the symptoms of the neurological disorder. And there was a reason for that. The Bible speaks of a spirit of infirmity. Remember Jesus healed the woman with the spirit of infirmity? Looked like she was sick. And her symptoms mimicked whatever the case might have been. The, the, the illness or the problem that she had but what was behind it was a spirit and I have to be careful with this because I don't want you to think that every illness is a spirit it's not there's some that are bacterial and virological and so forth but I, and may God's stripes cause you to be healed from every one of those I'll just throw that in right now amen because Jesus suffered stripes for you that you would be healed But there are sometimes things you face that are not bacterial or virological in origin. And 
That was the case with this child. It wasn't a neurological illness. It was something that mimicked the, the symptoms of a neurological illness. How do we know that? The gospel writer Luke, author of the third synoptic gospel, also tells this story. So I read my text from Matthew and Luke was a medical doctor, a physician, yet he makes no mention of this boy's condition being neurological or a health problem. Problem, Rather, Luke tells us explicitly that the boy was afflicted by a demonic spirit and even more that this spirit was a suicidal spirit attempting to take the child's life. And he further informs us that Jesus rebuked the demonic spirit and cast him out of the boy. Thank God for help. Amen. I'm glad I know somebody that's bigger than any mountain, bigger than any problem. I wish somebody would give God some praise. Amen. I'm glad and grateful that I know a God that's bigger than your challenge. Whatever you're facing. Luke informs us that Jesus rebuked the demonic spirit and cast him out. And here's the challenge with this being epilepsy, if it was what they say. If Jesus rebuked the spirit and it was a neurological condition, epilepsy, rather than a spiritual problem, it would, number one, mean that Jesus had misdiagnosed the problem. And guess what? The Jesus I serve doesn't make any mistakes. Additionally, if Jesus had misdiagnosed the child's condition, then nothing would have happened when Christ rebuked the spirit. If indeed there wasn't even a demonic spirit there. But the fact is, is that when Jesus rebuked the spirit, the spirit cried out and tore the child in a final last attempt to do him harm and then fled just like Jesus had commanded him. I'm glad I know somebody that has authority over the enemy. Could somebody in the building give the Lord some praise in this house? There is a name that is above every name and at the name of Jesus, every knee must Bow. But you see, this was a demonic spirit attempting to limit this child's future and abort his destiny. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to put you on the bench for the rest of your life. And that mountain that you face right now is ultimately designed to take you out of the game. The enemy is there. And I'm not giving him any credit and magnifying or glorifying him, but I want to say this. So you have insight into the spiritual nature of your struggle. The enemy always fights those the hardest who are destined to make the greatest impact with their lives. Did you hear what I said? If you're not ever going through anything, never have, That means that you are not going to make much of an impact with your life. But if you have to scrape and scratch and you get up in the morning and you say, well, it looks like it's going to be a good day. And before noon, all hell has broken loose. It means that you are a threat to the cause of the enemy. Satan knows who you are. It means you're carrying something incredible upon your life. And it means that you're meant to rise above 
mediocrity and anonymity to do something for God. Make a mark with your life. So don't waste that. Don't waste it. But listen, do you know how most opportunities come? They come disguised as problems. This microphone that I'm using hasn't been all that many years ago that a building this size in our stadium, if you tried to speak in any kind of a venue of any size, you'd have, by now I would already have lost my voice. Or close to it. That's a problem. The problem of speaking to large crowds, the dynamics of a large venue. But you know what? Everybody said that's a problem except somebody who said that's an opportunity. And there used to be the problem of crossing the United States in a Conestoga wagon, a covered wagon. It'd take them months. My grandmother who helped raise me remembered as a little child way back in the 1800s crossing the Red River in a covered wagon and losing a doll that fell over into the swirling waters of the Red River. It would take months to cross from the eastern coast to the western coast in a a covered wagon. And somebody said, man, problem is a travel. But one guy said, nah, it's an opportunity. And he created the car. His name was Henry Ford. Most of us have trained ourselves to look at problems as problems. 99% of people will look at a challenge and see nothing but a problem. But 1% will look at a problem and see an opportunity. Amen. Which one are you? I'm preaching to you right now. I'm talking to somebody that's facing a problem that really is an opportunity in disguise. Satan's trying to use it to block you, but God is trying to use it to elevate you. We never would have had in the Bible a king named David if it wasn't for a giant named Goliath. see a problem. 1% see an opportunity. Out of that 1% who see the opportunity, maybe 1% will take advantage of it. So I say it again. Do you realize that to be able to succeed, you have to first see your opportunity. You can't seize it if you don't see it. And this boy of this possessed child, or this father of this possessed child, excuse me, looked at Jesus and recognized opportunity coming his way. Oh, I wish that people in this house could recognize the opportunity that is here right now. Somebody could get delivered. Somebody could be set free. Somebody could receive a miracle. Somebody could touch the throne of God. Somebody could have a God encounter. But you know, so many churches are just like the ones the disciples had. I brought my child to your disciples and they couldn't help him. 
May it never be said at Inspire Church that somebody came here for help and we could not help them. I may not have the answer, but I know somebody who does. Amen. You say, well, how do I see the opportunity if I really need to see it before I seize it? Let me say it like this. You're either going to need experience or to have been through an educational and developmental process of some type to be able to recognize an opportunity. Let me explain. That is because the quality of your thinking, this is a big, big point here. You need to write this one down. The quality of your thinking determines the quality of your life. Amen. And if you want to change the quality of your life, guess what? You've got to change the quality of your thinking. I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. Amen. (laughs) You're going to have to change the way you think. You'll not see an opportunity. If you can't see it right now and you keep on with the same thought processes, you won't see it next time either. You've got to have new data, new input. You've got to receive something that causes your perspective to change. And do you know what that is? That's the word of almighty God. It will change the way you think. Romans 12. Verse 1 through 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Question is, how do you do that? How do I give myself to God as a sacrifice? Well, it's connected to the next verse. And do not be conformed to this world. In what way? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you want to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, you're going to need to change some thinking. You've got to be renewed. Amen. In your thought processes. Somebody say amen. amen. Be renewed in your mind. And this is why you and I need the word of God. You've heard me say it often. You can't get too much of the word of God, but you can get too little. You'll never get too much, but you sure can get too little. In fact, I think we need to live in a continual state of metanoia every day. I pray that literally. I pray it. God, help me live in a continual state of metanoia. You say, what's that? That's the Greek word for repentance that we see translated in our Bible. Repentance. And we think repentance means, oh, God, forgive me. And we beat our chest and tears are streaming down and we're banging our head against the altar. We think that's repentance. No, the word translated in your Bible as repentance is metanoia. And it means to change your mind. Change the way you think. And for you really to become a child of God that's successful in your living for, for God and in your ministry and 
and raising your children. I, I sent someone a text message this morning. They've raised incredible boys, just great boys, done an done a fantastic job with them. One of them's going off to university, brilliant young man. His brother, brilliant as well. Both of them musicians. They, and I, I, I sent them, the parents a text message congratulating them on the incredible job they've done with their children. But do you know that for you to do a good job, you've got to empty out the negative programming of your past life and replace it with the word of God? Because all of your life you were inculcated into a system where it was negative and at the end of the li- at the end of your life you lost. You lost. You came up with a deficit. Now you've been translated into the kingdom of God. You've been transformed. You've been changed. But Gary, guess what you carry into the kingdom of God? Your mind. And so Paul is writing to believers. And I know you're saved, guys. I'm not challenging your salvation. Paul is saying, and I'm saying the same thing to you. But he's saying, if you really want to do the will of God. And you want to be the living sacrifice that brings him honor and glory. Be renewed in your mind. And I pray God help me to experience metanoia every day. Let me read your word and find something that challenges my old conduct and paradigms and way of thinking. And then let me see that. And say, there goes the old. And in comes the new because I'm changing the way I feel about that from this time forward. Amen. Real repentance is to change your mind and think differently about sin. And the only way you're going to change your mind on anything and therefore your thinking is to get new data. It's not going to just change because I'm going to change the way I feel about smoking or drinking or Going to clubs. You will never change the way you feel or think about things just by telling yourself to do it. But if you ever see through the scheme of the devil. And you say, you know, you told me all that stuff was fun. And all it did was ruin my life. I've changed the way I think about that. That's not fun. That's destructive. You're killing me out there. I got sense enough to know better. Change the way you think. Hello, somebody. Somebody says, I'm doing drugs because it's fun. Really? Really? When finally you're so hooked you can't go hardly six hours without another hit or high. And and you're so anxious. and, and, And you're hooked on this stuff and you can't hold a job and you can't keep a fit. That's fun. No, change the way you think about sin. And to do that, you need the word of almighty God. And I'm concluding. So don't be an, 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 excuse me, don't be an uneducated believer. That's all I'm asking you. Don't be an uneducated believer. In fact, lift your hands and say these words. I will not be an uneducated believer. Say that. Look at our text again. The father of the boy with the demonic spirit said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. 
We say he had a faith problem. No, he didn't. He didn't have a faith problem. He had a word problem. You say, what do you mean by that? Because your faith will grow in proportion to how much of the word of God you receive. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. He said, I don't believe fully. I'm sorry. I just don't. You know what that means? You don't have a faith problem, sir. You got a word problem. You need to get more of the word inside of you until you come to know that God is who he said he is. Aristotle said it like this. The uneducated differ as much from the educated as the living do from the dead. Wow. He wasn't belittling uneducated people because without exception, every single person who is born is born uneducated. But he was pointing out that receiving new information has the power to transform and elevate your life. Who needs to have their life elevated? That father needed his son delivered. Because that boy's opportunities were limited. And I'm talking to somebody whose opportunities are limited as well. I'll say this. I've spent my whole life studying the book. That's why I know my best days are ahead of me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. I'm getting more of the word every day, every day. I'm getting more of the word. Somebody that loves the word ought to say amen to that. I'm getting the word on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I've got my time alone with God. I'm not going to miss a day without my time with him in the word. Why? Because if I change my thinking, it will change my life. So Jesus fixed this young man's problem. And in one moment removed his lifetime of limitations. My final words to you. One moment today. God could do that for somebody here. Somebody that's at home watching this. Wherever you may be from. Let us know where you're tuning in from. We have people that watch from Europe and Africa and Asia and South America. Let us know. But right now something could happen in your life. You say, how do I remove the limitations that are in front of me? The mountain that I, I've tried moving it, Pastor. It just, uh, I tell it, I rebuke you, and it just stands there like it's not even listening. You want to know how? Number one, get all of the word you can. Get all of the word you can. Number two, when you hear the word, don't merely hear it. Rather, embrace it as your new way of thinking. Let the word define your worldview, your perspective, your feelings. Everybody has thoughts on everything these days. And nobody seems to go to the word of God to find out if those thoughts are biblical, those positions are correct. So I believe this, and I believe that, that, and I believe this is okay, and that's okay. Well, what does the book say about it? Amen. Change your thinking to align with the word of God. And then number three, walk out the word of God in your life daily. Walk it out. Because I promise you the enemy will test it come Monday morning. I need somebody to shout, mountain move. 
Oh, that wasn't a shout. Mountain. Move. Move. Limited opportunity. Get out of my way. Get 